Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, Episode 77, Copyright Laws for Bloggers and Podcasters. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, also known as The Ramen Noodle on Twitter, and I am happy that you are here listening to this. And if you are new to this podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. This information might have attracted you because copyright laws are this big, scary thing that many of us think we might understand, many of us don't understand. But there's a lot of stuff out there, and I'm so excited about this information that I'm going to share with you from Gordon Firemark. This will be a series of episodes where each episode we're going to cover for the next four or so episodes, we're going to cover different aspects of laws for podcasting. And many of these things apply to blogging, too. So you're going to see that in each of these headings and titles of blogging and podcasting or bloggers and podcasters, because this information really applies to both people. So over the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about copyrights, trademarks, the the disclaimers and privacy policies and notices and stuff that you might have to have on your podcast. And also, what about running your podcast as a business? Can you get tax benefits from it and write-offs and any of that? Or what do you have to be concerned about with liabilities and incorporations and some of those questions? Now, the next, this episode and the next episode on copyrights for this and trademarks for the next episode have already been recorded with Gordon Firemark. So if you have questions, though, you can still send those in. And I'll have to just append them to the end as I read the question and read Gordon's response, like I'll be doing on something today. But there's still time to get in your questions for privacy policies, disclaimers, and notices in your podcast, or questions about running your podcast as a business. So you can send that to feedback at the audacity to podcast.com or call 905, no wait, 903 231 2221 and send your question that way. You can also go to the com and send a voice message from the tab over there on the right side. Just make sure that you don't have very much noise in the background as you're recording. That way we can get a nice high quality recording. So before I get into this interview, this great conversation with Gordon Firemark about copyright laws for bloggers and podcasters, and that's all we talk about for this conversation and this episode is just copyright laws. I want to tell you about a sponsor for this episode, and that is GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting, you've heard the sponsorships before, but have you tried GoToMeeting? Because it's really a great service. I'm using it. You have colleagues or clients all over the place. And it's not always convenient to meet in person. Usually it isn't convenient. But there's a great solution. It's called GoToMeeting, and now they have it with high-definition faces. So you can meet face-to-face with your clients and colleagues or share your screen with them. It even works on the iPad that they can join your meetings on an iPad and they can share their face through the iPad. And face-to-face meetings are really great because have you ever noticed sometimes when you have those audio conference calls that you end up accidentally talking over one another? Reading someone's face 
helps eliminate most of that. It's so handy. And I use GoToMeeting with my clients as well as I use GoToMeeting with some online book clubs that I'm a member of. So it is a great resource, great tool. I highly recommend it. And now it has HD faces for high-definition meetings. Go to GoToMeeting.com and you can try it for free for 30 days. Just click the Try It Free button and use the promo code PODCAST. So that way you can get the free 30-day trial and that way they know that I sent you from our podcast. So I think you'll be happy with it. I'm happy with it. I like using it with my clients. So go to meeting.com, click the try it free button and use the promo code podcast. Thank you. Go to meeting for your support. Now, Gordon Firemark is an attorney and I'm just going to read from his great bio that he has here on his page over at firemark.com. Gordon Firemark is an attorney whose practice is devoted to the representation of artists, writers, producers, and directors in the field fields of theater, film, television, and music. What all that means is that he is an entertainment law professional. He even hosts a podcast called The Entertainment Law Update, which is for artists and professionals in the entertainment industries. He talks about the copyright laws and any other kind of laws or intellectual property that affects these people. But he also has this book called The Podcast, Blog, and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide, which is a fantastic resource for understanding what you can and can't do legally with your blog or podcast. But he also has an upcoming guide that I don't know yet when this will release. I'll ask him sometime soon. But it will be forms that you can use for your podcasting and blogging so that you can be completely legal in all of that. So you can check out his website over at firemark.com and follow him on twitter.com slash gfiremark and check out all of his stuff, get his book, and I'll have affiliate links and any links that he mentions in the show notes for this episode, episode 77, over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 77. Gordon Firemark, welcome to the Audacity to Podcast. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Now, you've made a, a wonderful reputation of a niche for yourself in this entertainment law and new media and podcasting and blogging. And what's the title of your book? My book is called The Podcast Blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. It's really a niche within a niche within a niche. <laughs> but it's very small, but... Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, designed to provide the kind of information that you know bloggers, podcasters, you know hobbyists really uh, will need to sort of stay on the straight and narrow and, and out of uh, hot water when it comes to their legal lives. I've heard you on many other podcasts about podcasting, talking about law and podcasting, and I'm really glad that you could join me for this. And there are some specific questions I want to ask that I feel like haven't been answered in podcasting before. And also I've got some questions from our listeners about copyright laws and trademarks and a whole bunch of things. So let's start out talking about copyrights. What is a copyright? Well, copyright is actually um, a bundle of rights. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit and talk about the history of where copyright comes from, because it's actually a very old concept in, in uh, England in the 1600s. There were uh, basically nobody was allowed to publish anything unless it went through certain printers that that you know were the publishers, and uh, and then um, when their licenses expired, 
those publishers had licenses from the royalty. When those licenses expired, um, there was a move to make it more open to everybody, and and uh, and that changed the rights of essentially ownership of the work product that people would create, and that was called the Statute of Anne. Then. Um, when uh, the U.S. was formed, the uh, Constitutional Convention, this you know, the framers of the Constitution were thinking about this kind of issue, and they put a clause in the Constitution that authorizes Congress to um, to foster the useful arts and sciences, essentially the advancement of arts and sciences, by preserving and protecting to authors and inventors the exclusive rights in their materials for limited periods of time. So that's called the copyright clause or sometimes the patent clause. And that's uh, where the basis for copyright and patent law comes from. So in the U.S. now and in most countries around the world, uh, the copyright is this bundle of rights, the right to make copies, to distribute those copies, to display or perform the work in public and to make works that are derivative, derivative works based on the original work. So that's the bundle of rights. And that can be subdivided in, in uh, licensing to people or, or you know, by territory or by length of time or uh, you know, those rights can be sliced up by media, for example. And so that's what copyright really is. And it's the, the exclusive right of an owner of a work that's been, you know, work of, of authorship to, uh, to control how that work is used. Okay. So then what kind of stuff can be copyrighted? Pretty much any original work of authorship. So if 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 there's an original component to what you're doing and you're 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 either creating something out of out of your mind or even, you know, in the case of photography, for example, the originality comes from the selection of the composition of the frame and the time to snap that shutter. So it's a very low threshold of originality that's required. So that's one. It has to be original. It has to be, you know, a work of authorship, not just, you know, like a mathematical function or something. And um, it has to be fixed in some tangible form. It can be machine readable form. So computer code or, or, um, you know, when you write something in your word processor or record something in your audacity, for example, you, uh, you, you own a copyright from the moment of that creation. So if it's just purely an idea, it has no copyright protection? That's right. Ideas are, there's a famous quote from a judge that said, ideas are as free as the air. So um, there's other ways to protect your ideas if you need to, but um, until it's been turned into something tangible and recorded in in a form, fixed in some form, uh, it isn't entitled to copyright protection. We got an email or a voicemail in from mm-hmm. Nanny Jenny, and she's asking some questions about using copyrighted material in podcasting. And this is a really big issue. And yep. I'm going to bring out several points from her voicemail, but I'll let her speak for herself. Hello, Daniel. My name is Nanny Jenny from NannyCast at nannycast.posterous.com. I have a question for your entertainment lawyer. As part of NannyCast and as part of child raising, we often do read aloud stories. And whenever we interview another nanny on NannyCast, they always bring their favorite read-aloud story along to share. These stories are usually printed, bound books that belong to a different author, and we know that a read-aloud is a performance of the work. However, as a podcast, we are producing it for free, and we do highly encourage all of our listeners to go and pick up a copy of the book, either buy it or check it out from the library, in order to read along. How badly are we violating copyright with this issue, and what steps should we take? 
to remedy this. Keep in mind that we are a free podcast with absolutely no income and no budget, so we can't afford to pay royalties to whoever we might need to do this to. So if your guest says that it means that we need to cut this behavior out entirely, we will do so. So she has several questions here, and thank you for sending that in, Nanny Jenny. First of all, reading something that's copyrighted, but she's encouraging people to purchase the copyrighted mm-hmm. item. Well, let me let me back up and articulate what infringement is, you know, just so that we're in full context. Um, you know, Nanny Jenny is absolutely correct that when you perform copy, uh, you know, display or make a derivative work or whatever it is, uh, without the permission of the author, of the owner of that copyright, that is co- copyright infringement. Now, there may be some defenses that we can talk about, we will talk about in a couple of moments, but basically that's infringement. And there isn't any degree of infringement. You know, I, mean, I guess you could say there's, there's very egregious infringement and there's sort of innocuous infringement. And this sort of feels like it's innocuous, but if you're the owner of that work, you have a right to control how it's used and, and whether it's you know, performed and, and recorded. It's a copy as well. It's not just a performance because when you record it, you're making a new copy that can be distributed in, in various ways and so on. And it's also what we call a derivative work. So unfortunately, it is copyright infringement. Um, I think the best solution here is to ask for permission from the Usually it's the publishers or the authors of these works, and many of them may be flattered enough that they would uh, just say yes. It might also be useful to actually invite the author to come on your show and read it if they're still alive, for example. Now, some works, older works, are going to be in the public domain, and what that means is that their term of copyright protection has expired. The current way it works is... um, is the copyright protection lives on for 70 years after the author dies. So it's a good long time. But works that were created prior to 1978 had a different structure. And works that were created, um, uh, you know, in, in the, under the previous Copyright Act, the 1909 Copyright Act, were protected for two successive terms of 28 years. If you renewed it, you got the second term. So there are works that fell into the public domain, um, um, you know, as early as uh, uh, the, the 1950s, for example. So, you know, it's, you, have to, you have to investigate, unfortunately, to find out whether it's in the public domain or not. Um, works that are more than about 100 years old, it's a safe bet that you can use them. So if you're reading, you know, classic old Grimm's fairy tales, for example, you probably have no problem to worry about. But a more recent child, children's book or something like that, uh, there is an ownership issue and, and permission would be required. If they deny permission and you're, you know, you're absolutely hard set on reading the thing, um, then you get into this question of how much can you use? Um, and this goes not just for, you know, books and things that you'd read, but also when you use music or pictures or videos or sound clips, all of these kinds of things, you need the permission of the owner in order to use that. Now, the good news is podcasting is a small medium and, and people think of it as small. Even, you, even if you have, you know, many thousands of listeners, the licensors will think of it as small and you can, you know, sort of play on that and invite and explain you know, it's really just promotional and it's not going to hurt the market. You know, somebody hears the story of the three little pigs on, on a podcast. It doesn't stop them from going out and buying the book to read to their kid that night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so that's a valid argument. And you can use that to persuade the owners to give permission. Uh, but in the absence of permission, it is infringement. What about 
going, extending this, or actually, I guess we would be shrinking this, mm-hmm. talking about not the entire work, that's Nanny Jenny's case, is that they yeah. are performing the entire work, but if it is a portion of the work, a couple examples here are uh, even just a couple podcasts that I own and several other people have mm-hmm. similar types where we review media, either music, movies, uh, books, where we want to copy a portion of it. Maybe it's a quotation. Maybe it's a sound clip. Maybe it's a portion of a song. Maybe it's a screenshot of the show or the movie. And we are then using that uh, two different ways that I could see podcasters using it. Either using it just to give an example of what is in the uh, the production that they're covering or as actually commenting on it and pulling from that and referring directly to that screenshot, quotation mark, et cetera. What kind of rights do we have in using that kind of stuff? Just excerpts. Okay. Well, here in the United States, we are um, beneficiaries of the First Amendment. The, the framers of our Constitution, not only were thinking about protecting these kinds of rights, they were also thinking about freedoms that are important to us in order to have the kind of society we we hope to have. And the First Amendment protects free speech and free press and free religion and so on. So that freedom of speech comes into conflict with this ban on using stuff that belongs to other people, doesn't it? So what, what's happened is over the years there's been um, essentially a defense, an exception to the copyright infringement rules called fair use. It was originally created by judges and, and it, it was then uh, codified in the law when the 1976 act was made. So that fair use um, is a defense to infringement. The, the issue is how do you figure out what's fair use? It's a fairly complex four factor. No factor is the determinative, determinative one uh, balancing test that you look at. And so the context of what you're doing is important. That's the nature of the, of the infringing use. You also have to look at the nature of the original and you look at the um, effect on the market for the original. And then you look at the amount and substantiality of what's taken. So those are the four factors. So in the situation where you're doing criticism and commentary, that's, that's within the, the idea of we want to foster discussion about issues and, and topics of, of social concern. And so that's going to lean in the direction of fair use. Educational use is another situation where we would say, yes, that's something we want to protect. More of an entertain, if it's just for entertaining or if it's a very commercial kind of a use, um, it's going to be in, in the other direction. Um, and the amount and substantiality, that's a pretty obvious one. If, it, if you're taking a, a lot of the work or a very key component of the work, um, then it's going to look more like infringement and less like fair use. Um, and, and anyway, so you're looking at the context of things in sort of an overall totality of the circumstances situation. So unfortunately, it's very hard to to judge going in whether or not something's a fair use. Now, if you're doing a uh, film reviews thing and you want to use you know, 10, 30, 60 seconds of a two-hour movie, that's a pretty negligible amount of the movie that you're using. Uh, I think the filmmakers would object if you were giving away the, you know, the twist at the end of the film <laughs> or something like that. But as general rule, using a little bit like that for the purpose of criticism, you're going to be in in pretty good shape, fair use wise. In Jenny's situation, Nanny Jenny's situation, um, where, you know, where fair use might come in is if she's not reading the whole thing, but if she's talking to one of these nannies and and they're interviewing and and the nanny says, you know, the part of the Three Little Pigs story I love is is that that not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. And that's the extent of what's said. That's 
going to look like fair use. It's a tiny little piece of the thing. It's a referential use. It's not, you're not, you know, capitalizing on the value of the underlying work per se. So, so, you know, you don't have to shy away from any reference to a copyrighted work. You just need to be mindful of these issues and, and, uh, and think these things out. Is there any general guideline on how much can be used? I've heard people say if it's music <clears throat> or movies or anything that is, uh, you play it back, that it shouldn't be any more than 30 seconds. And is there any kind of guideline on how much? Not really, and not in the law. I mean, there are lots of sort of practical rules of thumb that people have adopted to sort of, you know, just give themselves some comfort about this kind of a thing. But, you know, in, in music, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't take more than four bars, uh, you're okay. And the truth of it is, you can have a, a piece of a song that is so distinctive that it, it only takes up one measure in the song. And if you take that work, let's say Beethoven's Fifth, dun, 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 which is in the public domain, but it, were it under copyright protection, that's all you'd need to take to be a substantial portion of the work. So... Hmm. It, unfortunately, this is one of those uh, uh, unpleasant lawyer answers of it depends. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew that no was strict rules of thumb. Uh, you know, obviously, the less you take the, and the less substantial what you take, that, that's really what you, you need to think about. And, uh, um, but, you know, the, the, the other components are, the other factors are important components as well. So it's sort of hard to say. You can take a very small amount of a, of a very commercial work and it, you know, it completely undermines the market for the original work, that's not going to be cool. <laughs> so, One way that I've heard someone describe it is if we are becoming distributors or redistributors of the content, then it's definitely a violation. Like if we're playing a whole song or a majority <clears throat> of the song. Yeah, that, well, and, and, and pretty much a wholesale taking of the entire work isn't going to be a fair use, unfortunately, for Nanny Jenny. So that's why she needs to go and, and ask for permission from the authors and publishers of these works. Now, there's a hybrid between these th two things because we as podcasters love being creative with certain mm -hmm. things. So we make bumpers, like uh, uh, some kind of segment, segue yeah. uh, sound clip or intros and outros. Sometimes that's music. Sometimes it's a clip from our favorite TV show or a collage of items. Some kind of probably a derivative, and we might explain that more right here, but mm -hmm. using those kinds of things where we're no longer just quoting the resource, but now we're actually using the content and not commenting on it at all, but we're using it as some kind of way of enhancing our presentation. Yeah, that would be what we call a derivative work, and that's the fifth of those of those bundled rights that I was talking about earlier. The right to control who makes derivative works and how they're made is something that belongs to the author. You know, the, the classic example of that is uh, somebody wrote a song, and that song became the basis for a play, and then the play became the basis for a movie. All of those are derivative works of one another, and then. Um, and then when somebody does a comic book based on the movie, that's a derivative work, even though it's a very different medium and it involves a whole lot of other creativity. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a derivative work and it wouldn't require a license or permission from the, from the author to do that. Now, again, something like a bumper where you're using, you know, two or three seconds of, of a song, you know, that, that has something sort of distinctive and interesting about it. And you're blending that you're mashing it up with a whole bunch of other things. Again, you get into fair use and, and, and looking at, whether or not that really is going to hurt the market for the original, whether it's even going to be recognizable in the final product or, or what. Um, 
sampling of music is one of the sort of trickier issues in this area because you can, like as I said, you can sample a very tiny little portion. You know, for example, the James Brown when he would go, ha, <laughs> you know, um, that's all you need, and 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 you everybody knows what you're doing, um, and so the owners of those recordings might have something to say about it. So. <clears throat> It it sounds like we shouldn't be using copyrighted material to enhance our production, like opening intro or an outro kind of uh, thing, like using the theme song from a TV show for our po- fan podcast about the TV show. <laughs> not not without the permission of the people who own it, and and the good news is those people can be often fairly magnanimous about these things. Now, the problem with a TV theme song is that there's a songwriter who wrote that and got paid a fee to do it. And that songwriter may own certain rights. It's not the TV producers. It's the, it's the songwriter who owns something. And so you may have multiple people to contact for permission. Um, you know, I, I guess my answer is it, it doesn't hurt to ask for this permission. The worst thing that happens is they say no, and then you move on to something else and use a, a different, opening okay you know uh something for your opening of your show or whatever um so so yeah the short answer is if you don't have the resources or just don't want to devote the resources to having a lawyer analyze this and give you advice then the answer is don't use copyrighted material without the permission of the owners okay and even let's get very specific about something like Mm -hmm. we'll say uh i do a podcast about once upon a time Mm -hmm. and uh, several other people do podcasts too about it and i might use a clip from that uh-huh. where I'll, I'll i'll just uh give an example or make up something that maybe a character says that stories have meanings mm-hmm. and so i take that sound clip and i always use that then as my segue into mm-hmm. a new segment of the podcast where we talk about meanings behind the stories and we're not actually commenting on that sound clip, but we are using it, but not in a full scale like branding style that of a theme song or something. Where does that fall in this? You know, it it probably comes in under fair use. I, I, I need to be hesitant about offering legal advice to people I am not, you know, directly involved with. And so I'm going to be a little cautious about it, but it probably lands in fair use. It's a very small usage in the context of an overall critique show. You're not doing a show about you're not you're trying to replace that tv show you are trying to enhance and add to it and and promote a dialogue about it which is only good for the for the show frankly uh unless you're trashing it every week but you know <laughs> no publicity is bad publicity is the old saying so i think it's probably going to land in fair use but without really looking at all of the factors it's hard to to say to give a, a, a certain answer on this i remember one way that someone has explained this is make it a derivative in some way if if you want to use it in it and you not run into a redistribution kind of thing like i've produced discs uh, resource discs where there's stock photography on it and we want people to be able to use that well we couldn't we obviously couldn't just redistribute that stock photography as is so we had to make something that was a creative yeah. derivative from it but but remember derivative work is is an infringement unless you have permission. So it needs to be more than merely derivative. It needs to be so far removed from the original that it, it no longer even resembles it. It can't possibly compete in the marketplace with the original. And so that's, you know, it, it's bigger than merely just make it derivative. It's make something really new and mashups often do that. Um, 
um, so, you know, so there you go. I mean, if I'm, if I'm representing you in, and you come to me and you say, do I need permission for this? The answer is always going to be yes and less. And those unlesses, there's a laundry list of the things that we can look at to, to get that unless taken care of. The easiest one is unless you have permission from the owners. Okay. Now, looking at different places that offer this thing called mm-hmm. Creative Commons licensing, people might be familiar, and we'll talk about more of that mm-hmm. in a moment, but uh, people might be familiar with certain terms that, or maybe not so familiar, but like if you go to Flickr, you'll mm-hmm. often see that on Flickr, there are pictures there that say they are licensed for certain use, and they use terms mm-hmm. like attribution, distribution, commercial use, personal use. Yeah. Can you explain some of those different things? Well, what the Creative Commons is doing is it's basically setting up a, a, a scheme of licensing that is easy for creators of content to implement and to give broad, you know, sort of open-ended permission to the world. Hey, look, I own this material, but you may use it provided you meet these conditions. And those, those terms that you were using, distribution, commercial, personal, share alike, and so on, attribution, those are the conditions. So, for example... Um, if the, if the, uh, if the creative commons license says non-commercial distribution attribution, then those are, those things are allowed. You can use it for something that is not commercial and we'll have to talk about what is commercial in a second. But, uh, if you're not selling a product, you're not using it as an ad, you're not, you know, running it, um, you know, with something for sale, it's probably going to look like a non-commercial use. If you give attribution to the original owner, um, and uh, yeah, and then you're free to distribute it as long as everybody who else who gets it is also free to distribute your content. That's called share alike in the uh, Creative Commons world. So you sort of have to, you know, you're you're taking advantage of this free license, so you have to also share your stuff in a free license context. That's a very um, egalitarian sort of approach to things. Uh, anyway, so, so what the Creative Commons is, is a licensing scheme. It doesn't take away copyright. It modifies the terms under which uh, people can use the stuff. It sort, of, it sort of gives blanket permission. It's a great way to find music and, and stuff to use in your show. So then what is this difference uh, for a podcaster? What's the difference, or even a blogger, between personal use and commercial use? I submit to you that there is no meaningful difference in the law. Um, whether you're using something commercially or personally doesn't affect whether it's copyright infringement. It, it, the only place it comes into play is if the, the owner has granted a, a limited license for certain kinds of uses. So if someone says you can use it for personal use but not for commercial, then that's the limit. And as soon as you cross over into commercial, then you may have a problem. Vice versa, if it's licensed for any, you know, any commercial use, then it's sort of, you know, it's out there for anybody, for you to use in any way you like. And so commercial is the the more, uh, the broader license, I guess you could say. Now, this is a good point. What does commercial really mean? And And the courts seem to be holding that, look, commercial means you're using the work to sell a product, you know, as part of an advertisement or or something like that, or you're using the work as a product itself, um, you're incorporating it into you know a piece of art or something like that that you're going to sell. Um, but also, sometimes the question of whether something is commercial comes down to something as simple as whether or not there's a, a banner ad on the website where the podcast lives mm. or a, a AdSense links in the body of a blog post or something like that. 
or you know Amazon uh, affiliate links is what I mean, or AdSense ads on the page, any of those kinds of things, because now the owner of the site, the podcaster, is getting money from the fact that they put this stuff up there, and that makes it a commercial kind of a use. Um, some mixed results on that issue right now, but um, you know, to play it safe, if you have ads on your website, consider what you're doing to be commercial, and you will not encounter problems. You treat it as though you need commercial use licenses. Okay. Should podcasters and bloggers be concerned about copywriting their own content and maybe involving creative commons? Um, I think everybody should, should be aware of copy, how to copy, how to get a copyright and how to protect their rights and, and how to grant rights if they're going to grant them. Yes. Um, the good news is, uh, Getting a copyright is as simple as you know pressing that record button and then creating something original or or typing the blog post or whatever you're doing or snapping the shutter on the camera. Um, the, from the moment of that fixation that I talked about it and fixed in a tangible form, the copyright exists. There is a registration scheme that that is set up with the Library of Congress. The, the U.S. Copyright Office is a division of the Library of Congress, and that registration provides some extra protection. Basically, here's the thing. If you, if you have a copyright and someone infringes it, you have to sue them to, to get record, to, you know, to get uh, redress of that grievance. Now, under the law, you have to register your copyright before you file the lawsuit anyway because it's sort of a part of the public record thing. Uh, you're not required to register it right away when you create the work. And there is a cost associated. It's 35 or $40, I think, for a copyright registration. The advantage of doing it right away early is that if you're infringed, you're entitled to obtain your attorney's fees and you're entitled to what are called statutory damages. So you don't have to prove how much you lost as a result of the infringement. All you have to prove is that the infringement occurred and then the judge and jury can decide how much money to give you. Um, um, you know, within this statutory scheme of you know anywhere from $150 up to about $150,000, depending on how egregious the infringement was. So the the real issue is if you get infringed and then you need to hire a lawyer and you don't have that early registration, you're going to probably have to pay that lawyer out of your own pocket, and very often that's going to be paying them upfront tens of thousands of dollars to file to handle a lawsuit for you. If you have the attorney's fees provision covered because you registered early, a lot of lawyers will take the case on the on the what we call contingency fee, where if we win, we get a pay uh, because we know that there's going to be an award of attorney's fees, so it's enough to make it worthwhile. So that's the re- that's the best reason I can think of to to file your registrations early. The rule is you have to file it within th- uh, three months of the initial publication of the work, and publication means anytime you you know, distribute it to members of the general public. So um, my advice is, you know, once every three months, sit down and register your copyrights, <laughs> you know, at, at the very least. Uh, anytime you're, you're publishing something, creating it and putting it out there for the public, it's, it's worth doing. Now, blog posts, you know, you're creating something every day or every week. That's a lot of, a lot of material to be copywriting. And there is a way to copyright them as a folio of work. So you're doing one registration for all of the blog posts you've done within the last 90 days. You could do the same with recordings of a podcast if you do a weekly show, for example. Okay. 
so people don't have to register every single episode of their podcast. As right, copyright. you wouldn't want to pay you know thirty five or forty dollars per episode. You know, every week you're filing a registration. You're saying, I mean, some people do, um, but you could also just do it. You know, once every three months for all ten or twelve episodes you've recorded since the last time, and treat that as an essentially an album of podcast episodes. Okay. So Creative Commons doesn't actually provide that legal protection that registering does. Correct. Creative Commons is really just a, a kind of contract. Okay. Now, should podcasters and bloggers be including this information, this notice of copyright in every episode, every blog post on their site? How should we be notifying people that we are claiming or copywriting this work according to however we're doing it. You know, interesting that you mentioned that it's something that I don't do in my own podcast and I realized I really should, and that is to <laughs> actually say in somewhere, have an announcement, usually at the very end, this material is copyright by so-and-so, 19, uh, 2012. <laughs> 19. Anyway, um, the, you know, the proper copyright notice is the word copyright and or the little C in a circle, which is sort of the international symbol for copyright, and the year of authorship and the name of the author or owner. So for me, that would be copyright 2012 Gordon Firemark. And, um, you know, having that just spoken into the, into the end of the recording would be fine. And certainly having it appear on the website makes sense. Um, I don't think it has to be in every blog post. I think if you have it in the footer of the, of the webpage, that's probably enough. It's there where people can find, you know, the whole idea of the notice is to tell people where to find you to ask for permission. Right. So if someone is using Creative Commons, I hear this a lot, where at yeah. the end of a podcast, someone will go on for a minute saying, this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Is that necessary? Yeah, that's, that's a good idea if you're using Creative Commons, especially because that will tell the, you know, the, the users, the listeners, what they can do with it as well. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for this great overview of copyrights for podcasters. Anything else that people need to know about either uh, considering using copyrighted material or their own content in regards to copyrights? Well, you know, I, the only other thing I can say is, you know, if you're going to get that permission or, or get a license from somebody to use material, it, it does need to be in writing. Um, it, you know, it, it can be a very short form document, but uh, it does need to be in writing in order to be the strongest protection. And, and that's sort of a general caveat, I would say, is anytime you're getting permission from, from somebody for anything, whether it's, you know, permission to use their voice on the, on the show or, or whatever, you know, try to get it in writing if it's at all possible. The, the next best thing is to, you know, have them speak into the microphone and, and record their, their permission. Um, you know, you, so I guess theoretically you could say, uh, you know, hi, Arthur, author, welcome to the show. Now you wrote this book that you're going to be reading. You own the copyright. Yes. And you don't mind that we're doing this today. And, um, you know, that might be enough permission, but I'd rather see that in writing. Does an email qualify for writing? Most of the time, uh, in this area of copyright, we, you know, I'd, what I'd really like to see is a, a, a piece of paper with blue ink signatures and, and, you know, ideally a notary stamp on the thing. But uh, realistically, uh, uh, email is probably better evidence than none. What I was looking forward to with you that I got from this conversation is I have this background of uh, music education. So I've been trained in some of these copyright laws. Sure. Now it's kind of drifted as everything from college does. But uh, so I I knew certain things and I wanted like to make sure is this actually right or 
here are all of these examples of things and sure. applications. So I really appreciate your clarifying that. My pleasure. Gordon Firemark, thank you very much for sharing this information. And we'll have some more uh, in the coming weeks with you, some more episodes about other content like privacy policies, disclaimers, and business use and more. But tell us, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I am easily found at firemark.com. Um, and uh, you can find my book, the podcast blog, and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide at podcastlawbook.com. That's podcastlawbook.com. And my podcast, that uh, for anybody who's interested in hearing you know, esoteric entertainment law cases and analysis, it's at entertainmentlawupdate.com. And are you on Twitter too? I'm on Twitter. My handle is uh, at gfiremark. gfiremark is sort of my handle on all the social media sites. So you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and others at the same handle. Thank you very much, Gordon, for joining me. Daniel, that's great. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it a lot. I really appreciate that conversation that I had with Gordon Firemark, and I really hope that you benefited from this as well. Something that I emailed him about afterward, because as I was thinking about this content and reviewing what we discussed and our outline, I had a question about YouTube information, because we see a lot of people post stuff out there on YouTube, and you have that ability to embed it in your site and reshare it like that. But that raises this huge issue of, are you allowed to do that? Just because you're allowed to embed it, does that mean you can also use it or reproduce it into your podcast? So I asked him on, uh, here's what I wrote to him. I wrote to Gordon, on copyrights, what about sharing via embeds or playing within an audio or video podcast media that others have published on platforms like YouTube, like playing a song from the Auto-Tune the News group into an audio podcast and giving full credit and promotion. Here's his answer. He said, it's copyright infringement to use somebody else's content as part of your own without the owner's permission, regardless whether there's credit, attribution, linking back, or whatever. The fact that they have published on various platforms is irrelevant. That's their exclusive right as the owner of the copyright. That said, When it's a small snippet used for critique or commentary, it might be fair use, protected by the First Amendment. So keep that in mind when you decide that you want to share something within your podcast. And this gives me a new perspective of things like in my clean comedy podcast, occasionally we might have a little music video that we want to play. Well, unless I get permission from the copyright holder, which most likely is the one who produced that video, in the case of these smaller independent productions, they own their own copyrights. Unless I get their permission to play their full video and, or full song in my podcast, it would be copyright infringement to use their full song. Now, I could use an excerpt, like he's saying, and like we talked about here, a small portion of their content for commentary. And commentary doesn't mean like you have to review it. But if you're talking about it and sharing it and telling people what you think about it in that kind of way, you would be able to do that. But reproducing the entire work, don't do it unless you have their permission. It's just the same thing like with TV shows. You look at how on TV shows, they post episodes on Hulu, on the TV show networks page, on maybe Amazon streaming or Netflix or these different places. And some of these places like Hulu even allow you to embed that video on your page. That doesn't mean you are allowed 
to copy the TV show episode and reproduce that in another medium. The embedding option that people allow is a way that they're allowing you to share their content without redistributing their content because you're sharing it from their distribution source, from the source that they control, not your own source. Because if I put an embed code on my site embedding someone else's video, they could still take their video down and then on my site, the video is no longer there. Or they could change their mind and say, this video can no longer be embedded. It has to be viewed on YouTube and that's the only place it can be viewed on. So then if I've embedded it on my site, then when people come to my site and try to watch the video, they'll see that it says something like, we're sorry, this video cannot be embedded. Something like that. So keep that in mind. Just in general, it is best to either not use an entire thing or really it's always best to try and get permission if you can. So I really appreciate Gordon Firemark being on. Be sure that you check out his website, firemark.com, and he set up a special page for us. So if you want to get a quick overview of who he is and how you can connect with Gordon Firemark, check out firemark.com slash noodle. That's firemark.com slash noodle. So you can check out his links to his podcast and website and his podcast book. And he mentioned these other things in his website, podcastlawbook.com. Now, please... Uh, if you want to purchase his book, then I would ask that you please use my affiliate link, which I'll have in the show notes for this episode over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 77, as well as all of this other information for how you can connect with Gordon and follow him and get his podcast and more like entertainment law update. So check that all out over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 77 and start a conversation over there. Gordon might be watching the comments there. So if you have a question on this content, that's really the best place to put it is there in the show notes in the comments section of the show notes. And then for next week's episode, I'll be talking about trademarks and well, Gordon rather will be talking about trademarks and what a trademark is, what you can and can't trademark, and how you can protect your trademarks. And just think about this. Your podcast title is a trademark, or it could be a trademark. So this really does apply to bloggers and podcasters as we work with this different content. This week's poll for podcasting, I would like to know from you, have you ever registered a copyright or a trademark? You can vote in the show notes over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 77 or go to theaudacitypodcast.com and over on the right side, you'll see the little spot for the polls where you can vote there. Please follow me on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle or you can go to theaudacitypodcast.com and see my links there. Send me your feedback for future topics, feedback at theaudacitypodcast.com or call 903 903- Two three one two 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 one. You can also go to theaudacitypodcast.com and click the send a voice message button over on the right side and record that right from your computer and send it to me. Please be sure to check out everything that Gordon Firemark has done. And I look forward to hearing from you and more from Gordon in our upcoming episodes. We've got some great stuff coming. So I hope that you'll be a part of it and we'll learn a lot from this content because it's gold. Again, if you plan to go to Blog World, please use my link. 
over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash blogworld and check out my personal blog at danieljlewis.net. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. Thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our podcasts like this one over at noodle.mx. We've got stuff like Once Upon a Time, Clean Comedy, and more. All part of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Also, the Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And they have so many awesome podcasts about all kinds of technology, and all of their podcasts are family-friendly which I really appreciate, and I hope you do too. So check it out over at techpodcasts.com.